Uh, we're looking at Psalm 131 there. Uh, I have that passage open in front of you. Now, in 2018, a study was published by Psychological Science. And this study revealed that people across the world have been becoming more and more self-focused. And that's been a trend uh, over many decades. Now, one reason, we could think of many reasons why that's the case, why people are becoming more narcissistic, more self-worshipping, more self-centered. And there are many reasons, but one of the reasons that I felt about this issue is that I think that one of the reasons is that all of us live and swim increasingly uh, in economic structures that promote self-centeredness. What I mean by that is that we have a market-based economy, don't we? And uh, where we, uh, things are not provided to us by the state, we, uh, we, we buy them from the shops, things owned by people. So it's a market economy, right? Capitalism. And the underlying premise of the market system is it relies on self-interest. That's the whole point, right? In the market, the consumer is sovereign. That's what they say. She is always right. And as the consumer decides what's right, companies, of course, then respond to provide uh, the services and, and, and goods and things that are needed. So, so it's, a very, it's a society we live in which all around us is driven by self-interest. So I think it's not a surprise then that in the rest of our lives, we believe that I am what matters most. I am the center of the universe. My autonomy is paramount. You see, the more the market has come to dominate our lives, the more we've moved from collectivist societies to more individualistic societies. The more economically prosperous and technologically advanced we have become, the more self-reliant and self-worshipping we have gotten as a world. Now, this increase in self-worship is terrible for all of us. This self-focus we are seeing around us, this rise in narcissism, is terrible for all of us. It's terrible for all of us for a number of reasons. First, it is an attack on God. We are only meant to worship God. God alone must be worshipped. So when we decide to worship ourselves, when we are, our society is becoming like that, it is attacking God himself. Secondly, worshipping ourselves is also an attack on ourselves. It's not good for us. I say that because it is not good for your happiness to worship yourself. Because it's not who you were created to be. The original design that God made you is not to be one who worships him or herself, but rather you were created to worship him. Right? You are most happy when you are worshiping God rather than worshiping yourself. Because to worship yourself is to deny your real self. The real self is that you're a creature. And God created you to worship him. He's the creator. In fact, we can even say more than that. We can say worshiping ourselves is a form of madness. Because it is a form of delusion. It's deluding yourself to be something that you're not. You are not God. And if you are believing something that you're not, you're living a mad life. Right? So self-worship is really what we're seeing around us. Is an outbreak of madness, spiritual madness. The other reason, the third reason, worshiping ourselves is not good for us is that it attacks not only God and ourselves, it attacks other human beings around us. A world in which everyone worships themselves is not a world you want to live in. Think about your home. Imagine if everyone in your home was just about me, 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 and they think everyone in the house should worship themselves, worship them. Well, that's chaos, isn't it? You can't have order in the home. And that's what we're seeing in our society. Chaos is breaking out. It leads to chaos. And by the way, it leads to a more authoritarian government. Because if you are, everybody wants to worship themselves, somebody has to rend them in. And the only one who can rend them in, of course, is God. But if people have rejected God, who is there to rend them in? The government. So the government must increasingly control every facet of our lives. And that's the future, friends. That's the future we are living in. In the West. The government must get stronger, must get more powerful. Why? Because the government is responding to rise in self-worship and individualism. When you've got a lot of people who think they're gods, 
they need somebody even more powerful to rend them in. And people, instead of turning to God, would have rejected their turning to the government to rein in those opposing forces. The other problem, of course, with self-worship is that worshiping ourselves doesn't just attack God, doesn't just attack ourselves, doesn't just attack people around us. It also attacks the world we live in, creation. It attacks the rest of creation. The more people worship themselves, the less they care about the planet. I am no environmentalist, but it strikes me that if you care about the planet at all, as people claim to do, well, the last thing you want are people who worship themselves. It is strange, in a strange way, those who want to worship themselves cannot really take care of the planet. And they can only do it through fear and coercion if they try to do it. Because, yeah, people worship themselves. Why should they care about polluting the environment and things like that that we tend to be concerned about as normal human beings? Why should they care about animals? If if, If you worship yourself, you're not going to have regard for the beast as the Bible encourages us to have regard uh, for the animals um, around us as creatures that God has created. Now, what I'm saying is, self-worship attacks God, attacks your own happiness, attacks people God has placed in your life, and is bad for the world we live in, the rest of creation, right? It leads to a chaotic life. And so it's terrible. It's godless. But the problem is that narcissism is growing. Self-worship is growing because of many forces in society. Spiritually, of course, the devil is at work, but I've talked about the point that technology and the economic system we live in also drives that. The problem is that if you are a true follower of Jesus this morning, you are living in this world. You are not immune from being tempted uh, to worship yourself at home, at work, and of course even in the church. Right? So the question is, How should we as believers live in a world in which we are constantly being tempted to live for ourselves? Well, to help us answer this question, I just want us to look at this Psalm 131, because I think it gives us an answer. This Psalm 131 was written by King David. Okay? It's a psalm of ascent. In other words, it's a song that the pilgrims used to sing as they went up to Jerusalem. We don't know when this song particularly was written, right? But we know that David wrote it, and at some point it was added to this collection of songs that begins from Psalm 120 all the way up to Psalm 132. Right? Um, well, 34, I think, yeah. So, so it goes all the way up to that, to these songs of ascent. Now, the, the songs of ascent, they are not songs of self-worship, right? There are no songs of self-worship. There are are no songs that are there to motivate yourself, right? These are songs, actually, that encourages us to put our trust in God, in God alone. And and this psalm, actually, is a good example. Look at Psalm 31 there, verse 3. Look how it ends. It's a good summary, actually, what the songs of ascent are trying to do. O Israel, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. That is really the summary of all the songs of ascent, right? They're encouraging us to put our trust in God, to trust Him alone rather than in ourselves. And this particular song, King David, gives us three answers to that question we are asking today. How should we live in a world that tempts us to be self focused? Three quick answers. Let me just give you this. The first answer is this. We are meant to rest in God. That's the first answer. We are meant to rest in God. That's the first. How do we live in a self-focused world? We are meant to rest in God. Or I would even say to rest on God. A few years ago, the BBC published an article on their website to help young people who are feeling rubbish about themselves. That's what... The article said, right? If you're feeling down, if you're looking at other people and you think they're doing great, and I'm not, I'm stuck here, right? You know, things are falling apart around us while people are, are doing great in other countries or something like that, or perhaps uh, others are doing better at school and you are struggling. 
How should you respond to that? Well, according to the BBC, the best way for you to respond when you see everyone is doing well in life and you feel less amazing about yourself is actually to love yourself more. That's what the BBC said. And the article gives us some tips. I won't work, work you through all the six, seven tips it gives. But here's the first tip it gives. Right? It says, the first thing you have to do is to give yourself a hug. Right? <laughs> and literally, they said this in the article, stand up, right? I'm not saying you should do that right now. Stand up, and, uh, and, and they say, fold your arms around your body. They explain how a hug works. I guess the people they are writing to might not know how, what it means to give yourself a hug. But give yourself a hug, focus your arms around yourself, and give yourself a wonderful squeeze, the BBC says, right? It's, the article says, you play the most important role in your wellness, and, and they believe in those sort of things. And hugging yourself can help remind yourself of your inner power, according to the BBC. We know best, don't we? There is no such things. Only God has the power. But they say that's the best way for you to be happy about yourself. And give yourself a hug. And do that every day, they say, right? The second tip, they say, is talk to yourself more. Literally, talk to yourself more. It says, a familiar voice is all we need in life. So record a voice note and remind yourself every day, you are doing great. I am enough. So record all these things about affirming yourself. Right? And that way you, uh, you become more happy in life, according to the BBC. The third tip, and I'll end here, they just say, prioritize yourself. They say, give yourself the attention, time, and energy that you deserve by dedicating 15 minutes a day to yourself. Because life is about you, they say. Now, this is what our best minds in Britain think is the best way to tackle self-worship and narcissism. Their answer is, we should love ourselves even more. When we feel left out, we should worship ourselves even more to keep up with other people. King David, who had everything all of us desire in life, I think, had learned a far better way for living. And he tells us how he lived in this short prayer. Look at verse 1 there. This is how David lived. He wasn't living to hug himself. This is, why, this is what he says. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. The phrase they are not lifted up means I am not proud. Pride is what? Self-worship. The prideful person has no room for God because the prideful person is full of himself. Right? Now what David is saying in this psalm, he's saying to God, Lord, I am not trying to live independent of you. I am not trying to worship myself. My heart is set on you. I am resting on you. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. He's saying, I am not trying to worship myself. My heart is set on you. I am resting on you. And you know, to emphasize his point, David goes on to say to God, let's read on verse, verse 1. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David, I just want to say, David is not saying that he lacks ambition in life. Or he has no talent to be anyone great. That's not what he's saying. That would not be David, would it? We know David lived in idea. He was a military genius. He defeated all Israel's enemies and he captured Jerusalem. It was David who wanted to build the first temple. He lived in top gear. So when David says here in Psalm 131, when he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, David is not saying he lacks ambition. The key to understand what David is saying is the last word in that verse. The word I'm thinking of is me. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David is saying to God, I know the limits you have set for me. And I am content to live within them. 
I will only do what you alone want me to do. I am renouncing my self-will. I am waving my white flag of surrender. I am like a wind child with his mother. I want what you want for me. Look at verse 2 there. But I have calmed and quietened my soul. Like a wind child with his mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. What's a wind child? A wind child is a baby that has been disciplined by his mother to no longer drink the mother's milk he once thought he couldn't do without. The wind child in verse 2, notice the wind child in verse 2, is calm and quiet with his mother. Why? Because he is happy to wait for his mom to feed him. To feed him when she thinks it's the right time. At one point, this child must have felt rejected by the mom. When the mom decided to withdraw that breast milk from him, he must have felt rejected. When he was made to wait. But not anymore. This child, you see, the wind child, has moved from self-obsession and restlessness to rest and be satisfied in the mother's arms. And David is saying, this is how he is now with God. That's the point. David is saying to God, I am now your wind child. I love being in your arms for you. I am no longer living to hurt myself. I am resting in your arms. And you know what, friends? All children of God are meant to be like David. We are meant to abandon self-focus. We are meant to rest only in the loving care of God in Christ. Now, if you're you're being honest, resting on God like David is doing is difficult. It's very difficult. Because remember what we're swimming in. This narcissistic world, this world of self-focus, this world which does everything depending, it's all about me, 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 me. So for God to win us from that and for us to become like our David is it's hard for us. Right? It's hard for us. It is hard for us to only want what God wants us to have. And when God wants us to have it. Sometimes we are happy with what God wants us to have. But when he wants us to have that can be a big problem. Right? And so the double, that double, what God wants, when he wants, that's hard for us. And the reason, as I said, it's difficult is that even though, first of all, because we live in a society which is constantly pushing us the other way, right? But the other reason is that even though we are followers of Jesus, and as followers of Jesus, we have received a new heart from God, we are all still growing in trusting the character of God. You know, every act of submission in life comes down to whether we trust the other person uh, that we are putting our trust in, Right? Can I trust a doctor with this operation? If I trust a doctor, I go ahead, I have the operation. Right? If I don't trust a doctor, I find a different one. Right? Can I trust this pilot to fly me from here to there? If you trust the pilot, the airline, you get in. Right? If you don't, you book another airline. I, I always say, you know, when I, I, my wife knows this, I only fly only in certain airlines. I'm like, I'm not going into that one. Uh, I'll see you there <laughs> with that one. There are certain airlines with uh, too much luggage and things like that. I shall not name them uh, in, case, uh, in case somebody works for them here. But there are some airlines that, are, that look dodgy, right? <laughs> and I wouldn't fly, so I just fly in British Airways. And uh, I haven't been paid by them, I'm just saying. Uh, that's reliable, isn't it? Uh, so, so our capacity to even get on the plane depends on whether we trust the other person. Well, the same is also true with God, isn't it? When we know that God means well for us, are you, you trust him. Are you struggling to trust God in some area? Well, the issue for you this morning is that it's, you don't trust the character of God. That's the issue. It's not what God is commanding you to do. It's that you are struggling with the who who is commanding you. Because when you know God, when you trust God's character, you gladly abandon self-focus. You surrender yourself in the arms of God. 
just like a wind child does. Right? And that is why we must take to heart the second answer that David gives us. So how do we live in a self-focused world? That's the question we are asking. Well, the first answer David has given us is that we are meant to rest in God. Well, the second answer gives us the reason why we are meant to rest in God because God cares for us. That's the second thing we learn here. We are meant to rest in God because God cares for us. King David here has absolute confidence that he can trust God with his life because David believes God cares for him like a mother. Look at this too. But I have come and quietened my soul like a winged child with its mother. Like a winged child is my soul within me. Now, some of you here are mothers uh, or even grandparents. Uh, and you know the depth of love you have for your children or your grandchildren. You would move heaven and earth if you could to do the best thing for them. And David is saying here to God, Lord, you deeply care for me like a mother. You are patient. You are gentle. You are sacrificial. Your love for me leaves no stone unturned. And David is resting on God like this because, you see, David has experienced this intimate care of God, you see, in his own life. You read through the Psalms, especially the world famous Psalm 23, right? We see how David describes how God cares for him as a shepherd, as a, as a, as a friend who invites him at the end of that psalm. To, is his host, not just in this world, but in the world to come, as, as one who protects him through the valley of the shadow of death. We have that image of God's intimate care in Psalm 23. So, so we know David knows just this motherly care of God, we might say. Right? Now, God is not a mother, but the image we have here of God is the one who's caring like a mother. Right? Like, like David is a wind child and God is caring uh, for him. The point is that David had experienced this caring love of God. Right? But David doesn't just know God cares for him from experience, right? He knows it as a matter of revealed truth of God. Because the God of Yahweh, the God of Israel is Yahweh, isn't it? Look at this one. O Lord. Do you notice something about the name of God there? It's in capital letters. O Lord. That's Yahweh. O Yahweh. My heart is not lifted up. Look at verse 3. O Israel, hope in Yahweh. That's Lord in capital letters. Hope in Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. You see that? The God of Israel is Yahweh. And it's this God he's trusting. Now, what does, it, what does this name of God, Yahweh, mean? Uh, I'm sure maybe Pastor Kevin has already touched on this as you've been going through the psalm. What does the name of God, Yahweh, mean? Well, God explains his name, doesn't he? In Exodus 3, right? Uh, remember that famous incident where Moses, uh, God appears to Moses at the burning bush, right? And God basically there in Exodus 3 explains his name. Uh, he says, Yahweh is basically, I am who I am, right? And that, tell them that I am has sent you, right? right? So where the name I am who I am, which is basically what Yahweh means, reveals two things, two things about God. First of all, it tells us who God is, right? He is a self-existent, self-sufficient, unchanging, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God. That's what Yahweh is. Secondly, the name Yahweh isn't just revealing who God is. It's revealing something about God's relationship with his people. Have you thought about this thing? God does not need a name. All of us here have a name. Why do we have a name? We need to know who we are and we need other people to know us. That's why we have names. I need to work and say, I'm Chola, yeah? Yeah, yeah that's me, that's me. And you need to know who I am. Same, that, that we are, that's why we have names, right? But God is not like that. God has no issue knowing who he is. He is God. And there's no issue other people recognizing him. 
Really? He doesn't need a name for that. Right? God decided to give himself this name Yahweh so that his people Israel can relate to him. So the name Yahweh is what we might say is covenantal. Right? God called himself Yahweh as a name for Israel to use in worshipping him. It reminded Israel that God is their committed and caring God. It's so important you understand that. It reveals who he is and it reveals his covenant with his people. So actually, we might even say Yahweh is a password for Israel to access God. Because it was a name for them. It was a covenant name. Sometimes in our families, we have names which sometimes maybe the way we call granddad that only the people in the family know. Other people don't use it. Yahweh functions like that in the Bible. It's a name that God gave Israel to know that God is committed and caring towards them. And so when David calls on God as Yahweh, he is saying to God, you are the reason I can rest in you. Not simply because of what you do for me. Lord, I am resting in you because your very nature is that you are the true God who has bound his very covenant of self to us. You are my caring Yahweh because you are my covenant God. I can trust you because all your attributes of all who you are are for me. You are my timeless, my never-changing, my all-knowing, my all-present, my all-powerful carer. You are my Yahweh. And the good news of the Bible is that this caring God of Israel has come to us in the Lord Jesus. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is the caring heart of God on full display. You know, when we read the gospel accounts about the Lord Jesus, what do we see? Well, we see Jesus walking around Israel, don't we? And what is he doing as he walks around Israel? He's dishing out divine care. Our Lord Jesus is caring for people who no one has time for, right? He's healing the sick here. He's making the lepers clean. He's raising the dead. He's driving out demons. That's Jesus. In Jesus, the infinite God shrinks to become one of us. So that, like a mother in this picture, he can lift us up in our flesh like a caring mother and minister to our deepest needs. That's God in Christ. And we know our Lord Jesus cares for us, don't we? Because he went to the cross to take care of the biggest problem in our life. What's the biggest problem in our life that Jesus took care of? Our eternal separation from God. See, because of our sin... All human beings by nature are born separated from the full comprehensive love and care of God over our lives. Now, I state that specifically, um, precisely because everyone still benefits from some divine care of God. Every human being does. It's called common grace. Every human being, whether they believe in God or not, God still cares for them at one level. The air they breathe, the fact that you are being sustained is Jesus who is holding this world together. They still benefit from God. You see, sinners are like a rebellious teenager living in the house. Right? He's always in his room, you know. He's at home, but he's rebelled against his parents. And he's always in his room, right? He never talks to his parents. But once at the night time, we see him. He's always in the fridge. He comes out. He's there. Eating, right? And then he goes back to his room, right? He's benefiting from the parents, but he's missing out on many blessings. Because when all the time comes, he's not there. The family can offer him so much, but his, his rebellion means he just, the only benefit he gets is a roof, and maybe the, 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 and the food. That's all. But the parents could give him much more than that, right? That's how human beings are like. They have rebelled against God. They, 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 they are benefiting from him in so many ways, but they are missing that wonderful thing, having a relationship with God. But it's much worse than that, you see, because we are not just cut off from God, we are also under everlasting judgment from God. 
And we will suffer in hell forever if we don't trust in Jesus. So human beings haven't just, are not just exploiting God. That's bad. Because that means we are missing out on life with him now. But it's worse than that. They're heading to hell because they have rebelled against God. Right? But the good news of Jesus is that God has come to restore us to himself by paying the price on the cross for our rebellion against God. Because on the cross, you see, Jesus took on the full weight of the almighty punishment that you and I deserve. He suffered the very wrath and judgment of God for us. In Jesus, you see, if we truly repent of our sin and trust on his death for us, right? God in Christ is now able to forgive us and restore us to himself. That's the gospel. And with that restoration now with God, all the attributes of God that stood against us to punish us in hell. In hell, God will punish sinners with perfect knowledge. In hell, God will punish sinners with his perfect holiness. He will punish sinners with his perfect power. All the attributes of God stands against sinners in hell. Even the truth of God stands against sinners because the truth of God means that God must punish them as he has promised in his word. But when we trust in Jesus, the attributes of God that stands against you are now for you. His love is for you. His holiness is for you. His truth is for you. Right? And they are there to nature and care for you as his very own. All the attributes of God. It's wonderful to know God is omnipresent. It shouldn't terrify us if we're in Christ. Because it means wherever we are, God is with us. It's wonderful to know that God is all true and he never changes his word. If we're unbelievers, it terrifies us to think God would never change his mind. Because he's promised to punish sinners and they will do it. But if we're trusting in Jesus, that comforts us, doesn't it? To know that our Father keeps his word. Through Jesus, we can have a permanent relationship with God. And that permanent relationship with God would nourish and care for us in every moment. You know, the singer Whitney Houston in her song, The Greatest Lovable, uh, says this. Some of you may know this song. Whitney says this in that famous song. Everybody is searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. And then she says this. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on me. You know, Whitney was saying that she never had anyone in her life who genuinely cared for her like a mother cares for the needs of her children. And she acknowledges that she tried to look for such a person. She really did. And if you know something about the life of Whitney, you know that her whole life was a restless and relentless search for someone who could be like this to her. In the end, as she says in the song, she gave up searching. She decided to spend all her energy simply to cope with life on her own. And you know what? That's what many people around us, that's probably what you are probably doing here today. Many are doing that, depending on themselves. You know, friend, have you ever wondered why our politicians, TV personalities, rich celebrities have so many perverse scandals beyond our comprehension. We've been reading them on the news, haven't we? Why would a very rich TV anchor do such abominable things? What is wrong with the people? With all the power and fame they enjoy? Why these perversions? The answer is that sinners have an empty hole that power and fame cannot satisfy. Have you ever wondered why the rich who are billions still want that extra pound? They want that extra pound from us. 
Why? Because they have a hole in their hearts that money cannot plague. They are searching for this lasting divine care, which if you are a true follower of Jesus this morning, you already have it in Jesus. The care of God that has infinite capacity to satisfy every heart. Amazing. In Christ, what the rich long for, you have it. If you trust in Jesus. And if you don't trust in Jesus, what the rich long for, you can have it by trusting in Jesus today. Augustine of Hippo said this. He said this to God. You have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you are this God who has power to satisfy. You're no longer restless. Rest has found you in Christ. The divine carer has found you. And if you're not trusting in Jesus, the divine carer is offering to find you this very moment. And I believe God has brought you here this morning because he wants you to repent and to trust and rest in God um, at this very moment. To satisfy you. If you're a true follower of Jesus, God is satisfying you every day. Like a mother cares for a child, God is showering all his love on your life to nature and care for you to ensure you are already provided for in every way. Your responsibility is to simply now rest in this God who cares for you. How do we do that? How do we rest in this God? Well, that brings me to my final truth, right? So, truth number one, we've learned from this psalm as well. We are meant to rest in God. Truth number two is what? Is the reason we are meant to rest in God. We are meant to rest in God because God cares for us. So how do we do that? All right? How do we rest in God? Well, let me just quickly, and I'll try and be quick. Let me just quickly bring you to the third truth. We are meant to rest in God through divine training. We rest in God through divine training. I'll explain that in a moment. How has David come to be like this in this psalm? To rest in God. Well, it is first of all through divine effort. Look at this too. But I have come and quietened my soul like a windy child with its mother. Like a windy child is my soul within me. Now, if you are reading the Bible very carefully and you come to that verse, it, will, it makes you pause, doesn't it? It sounds at first like David is saying, I have made myself like this. I have calmed my own soul. I have quieted my soul. Now, he is certainly not a bystander, but by David using the image of a windy child, that's the key to the passage, the image of the wind child. By using the image of a wind child, what David is doing is that he's implicitly saying God has made him become like this. Because there's no baby, right? No baby one day says to themselves, I have decided from now on, I will no longer drink mom's milk. No baby does that. Friends, if it wasn't for our mothers, some of us would still be drinking a mom's breast. Even now. It's, it's called winning for a reason. <laughs> it must be done to us, right? It is called winning because it's the mother who wins off the baby, right? And so when David says, I have calmed and quietened my soul like a windy child with its mother, like a windy child is my soul within me, what David is saying to God is this, you have made me rest on you. Like a mother with a wind child, God started the process in David. David had to cooperate with God, but it's God who initiated it, right? We grow as children of God by God training us to abandon self-obsession and helping us to start living for Him. Now the important question for you this morning is, how does this winning process look like in our lives? How does this divine training, as I'm calling it, look like in practice? But what God does is this, you see. God works on our hearts like a mother. See, to win a, ch- a child of mom's milks, um, 
to something better, how does that start? It starts with the mom withdrawing mom's milk. That's not winning words. I mean, I've, I've just observed it from my wife. So I'm just, uh, mothers can, can help me later, but that's what I observed. The mom withdraws the milk, right? And as time passes, right, the baby starts enjoying new food, right? And begins to rest on the mother's chest without constant feeding because he knows he's loved, right? And this is the same process God does in our hearts. That's the point I'm making, right? He trains us to rest on him by first graciously, listen to me, graciously withdrawing some blessings we enjoy in life. He takes away the milk of good health. It removes the dependency of a marriage or the dependency of a good friend. It withdraws the comfort of good finances. This is the way of God. And it is difficult, it is painful. Right? As God is doing those things, it, it, it introduces, God is introducing painful loss. And during these moments, these are difficult moments. It feels to us like God has withdrawn from us. Just as a child feels when the milk is being withdrawn. It's painful to watch. You know, when, when my daughter was being weaned off breast milk, as it were, my, mom, my, my, my wife was transitioning her, right? I was like, oh, just give her the breast milk, right? It's painful for dads to watch that, right? Because the baby's crying, the baby wants that. And it's easy just, and, and the mom is like, no, no, I know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> I know what I'm doing. It's painful. And it's the same thing for us. When God is withdrawing the blessings we enjoy in our lives, it's painful. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of heartache. God seems to be hiding his love from us. Our prayers, when we are praying, they seem to be hitting a brick wall. You know the feeling? They're hitting a brick wall, Right? But you see, just as, we, uh, just as the baby discovers over time that the mother means well, we also discover through our tears before God that He is our loving carer. God is removing discomforts, not because He doesn't love us, but because He loves us. Right? As we cry out to God, what happens is that we find ourselves proving the words of David in verse 2. But I have counted and quieten myself. That's a cooperation with God. Like a wind child with his mother, like a wind child is my soul within me. So the trials of life have knocked us off our feet, but they have landed us back on our knees, thanking God and affirming our trust in God. And as God trains us through this withdrawal of comforts and blessings, what is happening is that we are moving from self-obsession, me, 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 what? And what I want, to now, depending and waiting on him as David is doing in verse 2. His divine training of us is, is turning us into a windy child of God. We're a child of God already. But there's a growing to be done, beloved, from not just being a child of God, but to being a windy child of God. One who rests on God, who trusts on God for who God is. That's the process we're seeing here. It's sanctification what I'm really describing. And I'm giving you a flavor, I think, what David is doing here. Because there's more truths to be plumbed from this verse. I hope you're seeing the process there that God is training us to become a child that is content with being in the hands of God for God rather than what God gives us. That's the point. A wind child is a child of God who loves God for God rather than what they'll get from God. Now, this training is a work of God, but our responsibility is to cooperate with God, right? And that's why David here emphasizes that responsibility in verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with his mother, like a wind child is my soul within me. David is saying, I have cooperated with the Lord to make me reliant on him. I have surrendered to his will in my life. I am now his wind child. Now, we don't know when David made this assessment in his life, I said that at the beginning, right? But I have a feeling it was after the sexual sin with Bathsheba, in which David was heavily chastised by the Lord, and he had suffered himself through that period. 
And I say that because in his prayer of repentance, David prayed to God to make him just like this. And we read about this in, in, in Psalm 51. I'll just read it for you quickly. Psalm 51, uh, verse 10 to 12, he says, He's creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then in verse 12, he says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with what? A willing spirit. And then in verse 17, he says this, The sacrifices of God are what? A broken heart. A broken heart and a contrite heart, oh God, you not despise. As we read Psalm 51, it, it, looks like, it certainly looks like that prayer was answered, wasn't it? When we read Psalm 51 in light of Psalm 131, David prayed and seems God had answered. David had realized that there was a responsibility for him to cooperate with God. And to drive on this point of individual responsibility, let's go back to Psalm 131. Look at verse 3 there. David now ends this prayer with a call on people to rest on God completely. Look at verse 3 there. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 3 is a call on the people of God to resist any temptations to live for ourselves and to persevere in surrendering our whole hearts to God. Truly resting on God like this, as I said, is going to cost you. Do you want to be like David? Do you want to rest on God? Do you want to grow from being just a child of God to being a windy child of God? It's going to cost you. Right? Because it is going to involve pain and suffering as God withdraws those comforts, as He sanctifies us, as He makes us more trusting on Him. But as it costs us, we must not be discouraged. Remember, it's all part of God winning us. Some of you know this from experience, like David, as you sit here this morning. You have experienced terrible heartache, which made you question God's love. And yet you can say, in the middle of those tears, you somehow have drawn closer to God. You are learning to depend more and more more on Him and not yourself. You have proved... David's words in verse 2. I have calmed and quietened my soul like a wind child with his mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. Some of us here perhaps are currently going through deep personal suffering. We are suffering setbacks. We are wondering where is God in our struggles? Well, what is God's answer? God is doing verse 2 to you. He wants, you to, he wants to move you to a point where you can really say verse 2. I have come and quietened my soul like a wind child is mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. Beloved, God is bringing difficult circumstances to help you live for him in a self-focused world, to win you off self-obsession. You see, problems in our lives always changes our relationship with God. They are either driving us closer to God or they are driving us far away from God. And I just want to say, this is the same also for the blessings we enjoy, right? Blessings we have can either make us bow down in worship and reverence to God and say, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your power they were made. Or, blessings can make us bow down to ourselves. Like Nebuchadnezzar, look at what my hand has made. This is a great empire that I've built. Right? Be careful. You want God to bless you or praying for that? Be careful. Really, it doesn't matter whether you're in suffering or blessing. The challenges are the same. So today, resolve that whatever your situation, in good or bad times, you live for God no matter the cost. You do what God is saying in verse 3. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Resolve today that you're going to rest on God when your life is falling apart and when your life looks like it's being rebuilt into something better. Rest on God when you're weeping and mourning from a terrible loss and rest on God when you're laughing and you feel you have it all together. Rest on God when you're silent by yourself or, and when you're with your loved ones. Rest in God in times of trouble 
and in times of peace. From this time forth and forevermore. Resolve this morning to, that, to truly rest on him. If you truly belong to God, you, you can rest on God because you have a new nature God has given you. Living for self is for the world. It's not who you are in Christ. Your default now is to live for God. It's to surrender to God, to allow God to take forward this winning process. It's the same thing for us as individuals and as a church as well. Everything I've described here you could apply to a church. God wins us as a church. And the responsibility we have as a church is to rest on him through that winning process. Right? But, if after hearing everything you've heard this morning, and you leave this room just like you came, still depending on yourself, if there's no genuine plea, after we fin- you know, as we come to the end of the service, for you to cry out to God to surrender your life to Him. As a believer, and as a non-believer, to become converted and trust Him, as a believer, to completely surrender to him to allow God to do this winning process. And as a church for us to surrender completely to him. If you as a person have no desire to do that, well, the truth is that you're not truly converted. You're not truly, you don't know this God we're talking about. That's the bottom line. And I just want to say, if that is your situation, you're still dead in your sins, your end is everlasting punishment. And you need to remember that God will not share eternity with self-worshippers. Emi Carmichael, as I come to an end, I'll leave you with a quote from Emi Carmichael. Emi Carmichael says, Those who think too much of themselves don't think what? How would you finish that? Those who think too much of themselves don't what? Don't think enough. If you think too much of yourself, if you think the world re- should revolve around you, if you think God should answer to you, you're not thinking enough. Remember the dangers I spoke about. God is against you. God will not share eternity with self-worshippers. And if you keep focusing on yourself, you're on the road to hell. So make sure you leave this place with a true repentant heart. If you are not yet a Christian, cry out to God to serve you. And if you are a Christian, stop dilly-dallying here and there. Don't shift between opinions. Are you trusting in God or not? If you are, allow this winning process for God, from God to take place. Surrender to Him. And let Him comfort you. Our Father is a good God who cares for His children.